needs to do the retakes. My guest today is Alexander Coast, a youth rights advocate and the editor-in-chief of Tipping Points, the online magazine for the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, and also a staff member, a founder of Brooklyn Apple Academy, where we are recording right now. Not a founder, just a staff member. Just a staff member. Okay, so we're recording here in Brooklyn. There may be some background noise. We are in a wood shop. Just putting it out there. We are here to discuss some recent articles that you wrote, Alex, on education as a political act. And actually, the very first thing that you wrote was not about that. It was about language use in self-directed education. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the article is called uh, Misuse of Words. Uh, and just working in, in this field... Um, I oftentimes hear words used that I think are inaccurate and uh, are a result of our need to de-school further and, and sort of adapt our language to actually mean say what we mean. Um, and so the the big one for me, the, the one that really made me start thinking about writing an article about it was the word traditional that people use over and over again to talk about public schools. Uh, and in the article, I argue that uh, we should use conventional instead of traditional. And you've definitely influenced me in that regard. I use the word conventional instead of traditional now. And so, thank you. Uh, in that article, you threw in a graphic that you've created, which is... Uh, well, tell us about the graphic. And, and tell us why it ended up in that article. Yeah, I... Uh... I put the 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 graph in um, to s sort of show the spectrum of uh, uh, different models of education and how they sort of fall along uh, the line of different definitions of freedom um, and what people mean when they say that they are free or want to be free or they want to educate free children or that sort of a thing. Um, and I, I had, for about the year previous, had been traveling around a, a bit uh, at conferences and universities talking and and one of the one of the talks that I had been giving was the title of it was uh, education is a political act and so I had this graph already and I you know when when I'm when I'm publishing uh, articles for tipping points I, I I like to have images and, and graphs uh, to spice up the article a little bit and uh, so in the, right, literally like an hour before I published, I said, oh, I have that graph. I could just sort of throw that in. Maybe that would help people uh, not not quite realizing what the reaction was going to be just to the graph. So I'm going to narrate the graph a little bit. On the top, there's fear-based models. And that goes from conservatism to authoritarian to moderatism followed by permissiveness and liberalism. And below each of these broad spheres, you give some examples of types of schools that might represent this. So there's military schools on the, the far side of conservatism, followed by preparatory schools, charter schools, public schools. And then in the, the center, in the moderate section, there's Montessori and Waldorf, and then moves over to progressive schools and democratic schools. These are all uh, fear-based models. In, on your chart. And below that, there are trust-based models. Um, and the, the broad categories there are libertarianism, autonomy, anarchism, mutual aid, and then finally on the right, socialism. 
And down below, there are a lot of different examples of schools. Uh, there's Sudbury schools on the, the left with the libertarianism category. There's a number of different uh, varieties of unschoolers mentioned here, from self-governed to decolonizing to communal. We'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, you mentioned agile learning centers, liberated learners, free schools with a K, uh, the modern schools, Summerhill, free schools without a K. And I think we've covered all of them. Yeah. And, and so a quick look at this graph uh, will lead some, I'll speak for myself, will lead me to like look down at the titles of my favorite, my most cherished types of schools and centers, and then look up at the, the political label that is, uh, you know, seemingly attached to them, and then immediately make me think like, well, does that match my politics? And uh, I found this graph, I didn't fully understand it, but I found it compelling enough to share it on, on my social media, and lots of people commented on it, feeling <laughs> maybe a bit confused. Some people were a bit offended some people. I don't know. They just didn't know what to think, but it definitely generated some controversy. What did you do? You're off of social media. So what did yeah. you do in response to this controversy that you witnessed? I do want to say just a preface with uh, one of the reasons why I'm off social media is that I, I find that it uh, tends to um, magnify the uh, negativity. Uh, there's a lot of times when people post when they're unhappy about something and, and rarely, rarely, uh, you know, sort of like calling customer support. Uh, rarely do people call and say, I love your product. Um, which I think was maybe the reaction here a little bit. Um, so uh, I can't remember how I found out that you had shared it on social media. I think maybe you told me actually. Um, uh, but then uh, I realized that uh, yeah, the, the people wanted a place to uh, react to this and to have a conversation. And so I created a, 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 a forum post on the Alliance for Self-Directed Education's website where uh, I explained my uh, intentions and, and my reasoning behind the graph a little bit more and then uh, opened it up for other people to ask questions or to make whatever comments or reactions they wanted to make. And you also wrote another article. Oh, and, and well, then in that, uh, people asked me uh, if, if I would uh, uh, write even more on it. And there was, there was actually a request to write an article. So it happened to be the the holiday break. Uh, I had a little bit more free time, and I, I literally spent a good four or five days of my life sitting there uh, just cranking out the next article, um, uh, yeah, which was enti entitled, uh, Self-Directed Education is a Political Act. And that's what we're talking about. And so let's jump right into it. What do you mean by that phrase, self-directed education is a political act? Or more broadly, what does it mean to say education is a political act? Yeah, the self-directed part is uh, in parentheses, meaning that uh, all education is actually a political act, but self-directed education is a part of that. Um, and really, uh, you know, any congregation of people is going to have some form of politics to it. Um, and certainly when you are uh, working with young people, uh, as an older person, you are, even in a self-directed environment, you are going to have an influence one way or another on that person. Um, 
And within the system, the environment in which you raise a, a child is going to have one way or another an impact on their framing of the world. Uh, and part of that is going to be a political framing. It's going to be um, whether they look to authority for answers and approval, um, whether they feel free and independent, and then whether that freedom and in independence um, is a, a, an individual right or is, is it a group-based right. Uh, and um, and that's going to have uh, an impact on the, the choices that they make, the, the types of jobs they take, um, and in overall how they interact with other people in a way, in a systematic way, uh, which is really on a broad spectrum what I mean by political. Uh, I, I don't mean that, that that necessarily means who they're going to vote for in the next election, um, which is, I think, where some of the misunderstanding uh, came in. Uh, go ahead. Uh, Brian Husky, who's, a, uh, I believe, a former English high school English teacher uh, and is, huh. has contributed to the... The discussion in the world of self-directed education, he pushed back in the forum and said that, well, everything can be seen as a political act. Like, what makes education so special? What do you have to say about that? Yeah, uh, that's. It, it, I actually know Brian. Uh, he's published for Tipping Points before, which is uh, my, how I know him. I didn't know he was an English teacher. Um, yeah, I agree with Brian. Everything is a political or any any gathering of people together. Uh, you you sitting playing solitaire in your room maybe isn't a political act, uh, but any any gathering of people is going to be a, a political act in some manner, um, and I, I that's fine. Uh, I'm 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 completely happy with that. Um, my reasoning for pointing it out in the graph and then explaining it in the article is that it's a useful tool for thinking about one's actions on on as a parent on the choices you're making uh, for your child by sending them to a specific school or unschooling them or homeschooling them or, or whatever you're doing with them, that you are making a political decision. Um, and sure, everything else can be a political decision as well. I just think that it's important to stop and pause uh, if you're a facilitator in a center or, or uh, any any type of a role that 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 has an impact um, on on the form of education. And it was something that I didn't understand when I first got into self-directed education. Um, I had read Summerhill and thought, "Hey, this is cool. I want this for myself." And then, "Hey, this is cool. I want this for my kids." And little by little, I started realizing that it was larger than just me picking a different type of school for my kid. And then I started realizing that it had an influence on my decisions as a parent outside of school, and then my decisions on the playground and my children's decisions on the playground with the kids at the conventional school, the playgrounds that we went to. Um, and then little by little, I started realizing that my children were making different decisions. And then I started reading up on the history of self-directed education. And I started realizing, wow, this 
maybe I feel like today we like to cover up the word political, like it's this dirty word no one wants to talk about. If you look back at the and the reason why I painstakingly spent a while explaining the history of self-directed education, these were some seriously politically radical human beings who were starting schools uh, who were who are involved in this movement uh, and still are to some extent. And um, and I think that it's really important that we talk about that and we think about that and the influence that that has on our children, that has on our lives, that has uh, both self-directed and conventionally educated children um, to, to think about that. Uh, Going back to the graph, you break it down between fear-based and trust-based. Is that is that essentially how you distinguish conventional from unconventional forms of education today? Yeah, I, yes, I do. Um, I, I th- all the justification behind having a curriculum or attendance or um, you know, a, 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 a author- authoritarian um, dictating of rules um, all comes from a point of fear. It comes from that Lord of the Flies. If we let them loose, they're going to go and murder each other. They're out of control. Kids are crazy. They need to be pinned down. And you can you can very easily see that in the military school end of the spectrum, and uh, you can really see it in the permissiveness and the you know putting the sprinkles on top of the progressive uh, education. Where can you explain that? Well, yeah, uh, you, you, if you are permissively uh, um, awarding children's behaviors with gold stars and good grades, and uh, uh, you know making uh these these play-based spaces where the end result is known the 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 facilitators in those spaces the teachers know what's going to happen at the end it's controlled but you're making it fun by gamifying it in the meantime that that's still controlling the child it's still you are afraid that if you don't control the child they're going to do something awful it's still a form of goal-oriented manipulation yeah, just using a different set of tools. It's interesting. Alfie Cohn actually has a great uh, line on that. Uh, that uh, to paraphrase says something like, um, "Permissiveness is not the opposite of um, being authoritative, um, uh, authoritarian. Um, that's a false dichotomy." And and I, I, that that was the point when I realized, yeah, really, that's kind of what you're explaining when you're describing a lot of progressive schools is uh, this permissiveness, which still is that same end of the spectrum. It's still fear. And then when you look at any form of self-directed education, it's rooted in trust. If you don't trust someone, you're not going to step back and allow them to make decisions. And in self-directed education, no matter what methodology it is, you're stepping back and you're letting children make decisions for themselves. You trust them. Uh, up to a certain point, as long as they're not burning the place down, there's certain norms of behavior that are non-negotiable in all these self-directed spaces. Sure. You, you, you're, you know, that, that's not being blind to, to safety. That's not being blind to, and, and but the, the children who, in my experience, in the, I think it's been about 12 years that I've worked in a self-directed educational environment, 27 years I've been an educator. Uh, it's the kid in the conventional school who then ends up in the self-directed space after years of oppression who's the one burning down the school. Mm. Point taken. Um, why do democratic schools end up on both the fear-based and the trust-based 
models. You mentioned this is someone, excuse me, this is something that no one really pointed out in all this discussion. Yeah. I was surprised no one pointed it out. Uh, they, they don't actually end up on both ends of the spectrum. I have democratic schools on the fear-based and free schools on the trust-based. A lot of the times we like to think of them as the same thing. Um, and I just wanted to really clearly define the two. I have seen democratic Montessori schools. I have gone into public schools that use democracy in their classrooms. Uh, I used to work with an individual who started an organization that's actually bringing democratic education into public schools. And I commend him for doing that. I think that that's great. I think it's a great step in the right direction. Um, But that is not self-directed education. Um, And free schools happen to use a democratic process in their self-directed educational process, but they're free schools. So they, 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 that's just a tool that they're using, just as the fear-based schools are using that tool for fear-based reasons. So democracy, democratic processes can be used as a tool still in a fear-based system. You can have the vote, but it doesn't, it, they're not going to really let you vote out the, the compulsive aspects of the school. Yeah. And I, uh, as I explained in the, I, I believe in the forum, it was when I started traveling parts of Europe, um, with the documentary film I'm in. Um, and I started meeting these people in all these schools all over. It was really in Scandinavia where I first discovered it. I think it was in Denmark and people were saying, Oh, you know, I work at a democratic school and I started thinking, how many democratic schools are there here? And there were hundreds of them. And I was so excited. And then I started visiting them. And I was like, this is not a self-directed space. And then I started realizing, Oh, that's a different wording for it. And so it's a very, talking about the meaning of word, the use of words, um, it's a, a, a slight nuance, but I, I put that very intentionally on the the uh, graph that way so that hopefully people would think about it. Hmm. Uh, another word that you, you use with a lot of nuance is the word freedom. And in your uh, article on self-directed education as a political act, you distinguish between three types of freedom that tends to show up in these modern self-directed education spaces. The first one you call freedom with a focus on autonomy. The second is freedom with a focus on community. And finally, something called autonomy through mutual aid. So give us a tour of of these three flavors of freedom or autonomy. Uh, And if you can, provide some examples of like how they they look in the real world. Okay, uh, I'll do my best. Um, And as I tried to write a lot in the article uh, and and wrote in the forum, um, these are just, I was trying to create some helpful guidelines for us to think about this. I wasn't trying to pigeonhole anyone into a particular category and pretty much any school, any center, any unschooling kid, there's going to be a broad spectrum throughout their life where they're going to undulate from one to the other. Uh, and there is no definitive, oh, you are just this one form of freedom. But there, there can be a different emphasis. And I think that especially um, especially in centers where there still is a system placed on that space, 
um, you know, we are an agile learning center. We are a Sudbury school. What does that mean? Those people mean something when they're saying that. Those are two different models of self-directed education. They have different nuances. And the emphasis that they have is going to have an impact on the type of freedom that that space creates. Both of them are a sense of freedom, and both of them I'm in support of. They're self-directed education, and I love that. And if anything, I really tried to say, I'm embracing this as a movement that has lots of variety. There's lots to choose from. This is a good thing. I don't mean this as, oh, no, we, you know, there's this one and this one, and you need to pick this one. No, no, they're all good. They're all, let's, let's focus on them. But they have a different impact. I have one that's my particular favorite that we can talk about, but that's just my own personal particular favorite. Uh, so as far as individual freedom, any space where the the environment sets it up so that the, at the end of the day, the, the individual's choice is what's most important is individual freedom. Um, the the example that I gave of that, that where I feel the spectrum is more that way, is in Sudbury schools, the Sudbury schools that I've visited, at least, and the ones that I've read books on, the ones that I've studied, the conversations I've had, tend to be that way. And and the the part of the, the methodology, the nuance that makes Sudbury schools, or one of the nuances that makes Sudbury schools different than other methodologies of self-directed education, is the idea that offerings uh, don't come from the adults. Each individual comes up with their own interests and then they can congregate with other individuals and then choose to have an offering and perhaps ask an adult, um, but that it's rooted in the individual. Um, And I think that that's an important difference that, that really makes Sudbury schools very different than the other types of environments. Because, as you wrote in the forum, uh, simply being offered something can be seen as a form of propaganda and a form of influence, a form of adult influence that may not be welcome. And so that is that represents the focus on the individual and the individual's um, yeah total autonomy from any unnecessary outside influences. Yeah, um, and. So that that's a ty- that's a type of freedom. I am free. I can make my own choices. I can I can choose if I want to be communal. I can I can go to the school meeting. Um but I'm not required to go to the school meeting. There's there's no meeting that I necessarily need to be a part of. I can opt out of that. If I want to sit and read a book all day or go in the back and go fishing all day long, I'm free to do that. And, and that's it. And that's fine. And, and, and that's a type of freedom. And, and liberated learner centers, I think, would, would fall into that category pretty well, too. As far I've actually never been to a liberated oh, learner center. Oh, you got to go, Alex. Uh, I, know. Uh, I know Ken. Um, and, and certainly, uh, I, I've, I've heard quite a bit about them. Um, and so I, I'm certainly more hesitant talking about them because uh, I don't want to judge uh, on something that I haven't actually seen. With then, my... then, then I'll put my neck out there and say, that's definitely what you're describing because uh, you really don't have to do anything. And that's one of my favorite questions to ask whenever I'm in a, a new, you know, seemingly self-directed space is what's absolutely required here and what's optional? And yeah. get, let's get really nitty gritty with this. Yeah. And so what you just described at Liberated Learner Center, you can just show up, sit on the couch 
do nothing all day, choose your level of social interaction, and that's it. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you sort of have the freedom, the schools that focus on community, um, which I, I labeled as the socialist end of it. Um, and I, I think that those schools actually are rooted in socialism. Um, I don't, I don't, I would never say that a Sudbury school is rooted in libertarianism. I would say that that describes a similar type of freedom as what I understand libertarians are saying they want when they want freedom. Whereas, interestingly enough, I think the free schools, which really is a movement that came out of, uh, you know, A.S. Neal started Summerhill. Um, it came over to the United States in 1960 when uh, um, a compilation of other writing his was published in the United States under the, the uh, book Summerhill, A Radical Approach to Child Rearing. Um in 1960, right at the perfect time when a bunch of, uh, you know, when the, the hippie counterculture movement was just starting to take root, um, it fueled the flames uh, as Vietnam took off. And this was essentially the beginnings of a more socialist movement. Neil taught, wrote a lot about how he didn't believe in propaganda um, and how his school wasn't socialist or communist. Um and I'm not saying that he was using propaganda, but the system that he provided for children to be reared in, which is the boarding school Summerhill, is the same structure, is a structure that embraces socialistic ideologies. Uh, okay, and can you provide some examples? Like, how is a, is Summerhill, or what Summerhill was like back then, how is that categorically different from what a Sudbury school that you're familiar with is like today. Yeah, so um, I, actually, I, I, when I was at Summerhill a few few years back for uh, one of the International Schools Weeks, um, some of the Summerhill kids got in an argument with kids from, I think it was a group of kids from Germany, but I can't remember. But in any case, the, the German, let's say they were German kids, were, in, were camping in a tent out in the, in the yard of Summerhill, I was in the tent next to theirs, and something happened between them, and the uh, the Sum Summerhill kids ended up um, pouring laundry detergent into the tent of the German kids, right, in some sort of a mean protest. Uh, the German kids brought it to the school meeting at Summerhill saying, hey, look what you did to us. Um, and then the Summerhill kids said, yeah, but look what you did to us. And there was this big argument. And I remember at the end of it, uh, the, the, the consequence that was given, uh, which I believe was by, it was a 14-year-old uh, who, was, who was running the meeting, um, who, I, if I recall correctly, came up with the consequence, was uh, the, two, the two groups of young people need to come together, bake a cake, and eat it together. That that was the consequence, and and if you look at that, I mean that's a very one off, but th I think that that gives a, a good sense of it's this communal. They needed the consequence wasn't you know you're being sent to your room, you're being punished, you're being outcast from the rest of them. This was a very we need to come together and learn how to live together, and so we're going to make you spend more time together and cooperate with one another to learn the sense of community to be together. And, and the essence of the methodology of Summerhill, and, and it's very hard to pin down free schools, because first of all, you have free schools that are actually Sudbury schools, right? That can be confusing right there. But when I think of free school, 
I can there there's a certain nuance, there's a certain essence to to this environment. And I've been to many free schools in the United States and abroad. Um and they all have a certain something about them. Um and it is and it's this communalness. It's it's uh and and it's different than when I've set foot on on the campus of a Sudbury school. There's uh and and by different I don't mean better or worse. I just mean different. Um and there's this at the end of the day, our rules are about a, a communalism. It's about us coming together. And by coming together, we can enable ourselves to therefore be free. If we're all equal, we can have this equality where we're not competing with one another. And therefore, we can have freedom. All right. We're getting to a level of abstraction. That is, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That is... Uh, Worrying me a little bit because I'm losing sight of what this actually looks like at at a I'm going to put two words together here at a democratic free school, <laughs> which uh, might fall more into the community uh, focus for you. Still, fundamentally, you can go there and do nothing. You are free to associate with who you want. Uh, when I imagine you saying like the community comes first, I'm imagining some level of compulsion for like community aims that are not necessarily overlapping with individual aims, but um, like what you described with the, the cake baking, you know, punishment meted out at Summerhill, um, you know, I can imagine that happening at a, at a slightly less conventional uh, Sudbury Judicial Committee. Sure. You know, maybe more traditionally, those are, are punitive measures that come out of uh, Sudbury School ju- uh, Judicial Committees, but um, that didn't seem so radically different to me. The, the I... I purposefully got more abstract when I talked about free schools because each free school is a every Sudbury school is different but the spectrum of free schools are more different in my experience. I've been to some free schools that look very different than other ones and they're calling themselves free schools but they do have some similarity. A lot of them, not all of them, a lot of them have required meetings. Oftentimes the school meetings required uh, some of them have morning meetings. Some of them have afternoon meetings. There we go. This um, is this is getting concrete and, here. And and this again, not all of them. And so I want to be hesitant. Yeah, you know, I'm hesitant in 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 stating this. And I've been to. I've some of them. The adults mandate. Hey, the school meeting is required, and that's it. Some of them, it's been the school meeting itself that has done that. Um, some. Free schools use consensus, which I think are the ones that are really rooted in socialism. This is a, we're not talking about majority rules here. We're talking about we all need to at least concede that for the better good of our community, I'm going along with this. Consensus is a real socialistic ideology. Uh, uh, it's saying, you know, we, we, we need to come to a point where we can all agree on this. We're not going to forget about the 48% who voted against this. Uh, they matter too. Um, so it sounds like you are going in the direction of describing uh, agile learning centers in the way that I've seen them run. Because often uh, at an ALC, you do need to participate in the morning meeting, or sometimes there's the, the, the change-up meeting, and then the afternoon reflections. And that, that is a non-negotiable part of participation in one of these communities. It's yeah. part of the student contract, which is signed. And, uh, and is that an accurate? Yeah. As, um, of the Agile Learning Centers I'm familiar with, um, and two of my chil- one of my children goes to an Agile Learning Center, the other one used to, um, 
they have agreements. It's a set agreement with you're going to be a part of our community. Uh, one of the non-negotiable agreements is that you are going to participate in Change Up and Spawn Point in the reflections. Um, and I don't know if that's true of all all ALCs. Yeah, but, me neither. Uh, but as far as I'm aware of, it is. Um, and uh, I, I couldn't imagine an ALC that didn't work that way. Um, so what would be lost in an Agile Learning Center if those meetings were not required? Do you think a sense of community? There the definitely would be... A, a, it's in at Brooklyn Apple Academy where we are now, where we are not an Agile Learning Center, but we use some Agile Learning Center tools. Um, we have sort of our own version of a Kanban board. Um, we dis- we debate this all the time of do we make the morning meeting required? Um, what if we don't? What if we just had uh, a Kanban board where each person stated their intentions separate from one another? And uh, we keep coming back to the no, we need to do it together. Sometimes what we've done here is um, ha- have have people sort of come up with some of their intentions. I'll have conversations with the kids as they come in in the morning. What are your intentions? But then we bring it to the morning meeting. And, and I do that sometimes because the patience levels can be low. And um, I just want to make the, the meeting more comfortable. Um, and so if they've already thought that through and we've sort of set it up. Um, but there, there, me- there needs to be the coming together. There, there's, a, there's great intention in that coming together. Um, and and the required we need to do this because we are a community, and agile learning centers are a community where the point of not what why are we not unschooling or something else is because we want to congregate and there is and so what does that mean that means that there needs to be a certain sense of community, um, and that's just a different way of of looking at freedom and. And it's an, it's an oxymoron in a certain sense, in that you're saying, I'm requiring you to do this so you can be free. Um, and, and that seems, you know, that seems completely contradictory. And that might even be the argument that progressive schools are making, or even more conventional schools, which is, we are doing this to you because we think this is how you will become free. Absolutely. God, yeah. we're no better than anyone else. Oh, Alex. yeah. <laughs> we're just the same as everyone else. Um, you're making me think about Not Back to School Camp, where I've worked for more than 12 years. And there are two uh, all-camp meetings, morning and, and evening meeting. And then there's a check-in with your advisor. And I've always been an advisor. And these are all non-negotiable. And mm-hmm. it's for the exact reasons that, that you have just laid out. And when I started running my Unschool Adventures trips... I borrowed the same uh, evening meeting and check-in idea from Not Back to School Camp, and that's absolutely non-negotiable. And when I imagine running a trip like that and saying, okay, you can just opt out of the evening check-ins. We just won't hear from you. It'll just be kind of a, a mystery whether you're okay or how you're how you're doing, or you know, we'll find some other way to communicate important stuff about our trip to you. Uh, that's unthinkable to me. And so I it does change for me because I've on adventure playgrounds, for example, you see this uh, community or lack of community um, play out in a very different way. The the uh, adventure playground, I, I prefer the word junk playground. Um, so maybe I'll change and say junk playground. The junk playground on Governor's Island in New York City, which I co-founded with uh, some others, 
um, is a destination. Governor's Island is there are no residencies there. And so um, the sense of freedom there is much more an individualistic one in the way that the facilitators called playworkers there, um, the decisions that they have to make where they don't have a, a long-standing relationship with the children um, is different than at, at a junk playground that uh, where the kids are showing it. So, say, like, um, I'm thinking of some of the junk playgrounds in London where uh, it's like it is the after-school center for the, the these kids in these low-income neighborhoods who come out of their school and have nowhere to go, and they go to the junk playground. And the play workers who work there with them know them. They have developed relationships. And the and the sense of freedom there is is a very different one because they've developed this long-term relationship with them. And so the sense of community and communication is different than the kid who comes and is just free for the day Um both of them are free. Both of them are good. I, I, I advocate for both types of junk playgrounds. I'm happy they're there. Uh, but but it's very different. Just going back to the third sense of freedom, which we didn't really uh, uh, finish up on there, the autonomy through mutual aid, which were very, very particular words that I took. The, those are words of anarchism. Um, and um, the, again, they, they are um, contradictory. Autonomy and mutual aid, in many senses, um, when at, at first glance you think you know one is this burden where you're caring for others, and the other one is I'm free. Uh, and anarchism is is this mixture of saying you first you start with your individual freedom, you start with your own quest to 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 be able to do what you need and want to do with your life. But once you start on that footpath down that way. Um, you are required, literally required, to care about the others around you. It's it's the sense of no person is free while others are in chains. Um, if I just go, and, and I think that the criticism there is if I'm just living my free life in the woods, you know, doing my thing, and I'm not caring about people in other places who are being oppressed then I'm not free, I'm privileged. Um, and so it's this interesting, it has both a sense, and which is the reason why it's in the middle of the uh, the graph uh, with autonomy on one side, mutual aid on the other side. It has the individualistic freedom sense. It has the communal social freedom sense, but it has this additional, it's not just about your community being free, it's about then also seeking out for a free society and a free world. Um, and it's a lot more propaganda driven. Uh, you see a lot more, you see a lot more uh, ALCs, uh, at least in my experience of, and I, I watch pretty closely a lot of these communities. Um, I hear a lot more about climate change activists, uh, LBGTQ uh, um, activists, uh, uh, you know, uh, by you know, um, um, people of color, uh, uh, activism. Um, the 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 mission of the Agile Learning Centers, the network itself, is much more looking to. Uh, broaden their community worldwide um they intentionally do things like um put their their news i think it's a monthly newsletter um in in two languages 
they're 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 looking like that way. Uh, it's not just about our center is free; it's about creating a free society, and that's a very different way of looking at it. And that propaganda can be seen as a really bad thing by some people, and as a really good thing by hmm. others. This is really helpful and illuminating, and I think <laughs> you know people who might have been confused by the articles are going to get a lot out of this. And, and to me, I'm seeing. Uh, these concentric circles of sort of awareness or not, maybe not awareness, but um, priority. And so the first one, you know, freedom with a, a focus on autonomy is kind of like the individual needs to be, you know, that's the number one priority. The free, freedom with a focus on community is like, well, our, our community, whether that's a little traveling group, whether that's a small alternative school, like that is our priority level. And then the last one you just described feels to me like the whole world is considered part of our, our community and therefore, on, in some way, our priority. And we, we cannot afford, maybe we can't afford, but we choose not to ignore the, the broader world. And that has to be part of our discussion and that we will make sacrifices to our individual autonomy for or those concerns. Does yeah, that sound right? I, I think, I, I think, just to clarify, mutual aid isn't um, that I'm doing this because... It's not even necessarily that I care about you as a person, although that's nice to have. Um, it, it's more the sense that freedom without that is privilege, but it's also a temporary thing. There's always going to be an uprising against... If there are the haves and the have-nots, the have-nots eventually are going to get fed up and your freedom therefore your supposed freedom where you're sitting there living off of your privilege of of oppressing these people is going to be overturned at some point in time so even if you don't necessarily care about that community for you to be free you need to care in the long run in the long run uh and so so you know obviously the the goal is to care about those communities as well but uh yeah. So, uh, in the forum, uh, there was someone named Aaron Browder who says he works at a Sudbury school, and and he said, yeah, at the Sudbury school where I work, all three of these freedoms are enacted. So, kind of like, what what's the big deal? And and also, he said we have families and staff members from all over the political spectrum. So why even like put us underneath anywhere near the word? libertarian or socialism or any of these other words because we literally have everyone showing up here yeah um to the first point um yes all of it that's actually really good to emphasize what he said i agree with uh sudbury schools do have all of those um agile learning centers have all of those democratic free schools have liberated learners i assume have all of those unschoolers which ride that entire spectrum in my experience working with unschoolers tend to have all of those experiences. It's what the emphasis is on and which you can set up a system where one is easier to achieve than the other. um, And where the focus is on that a little bit more. And the reason why I'm pointing out is just that that emphasis is focused in a different way. And you can't, I don't think you can actually emphasize all three equally. I think that would be contradictory. Um, and, and so my point in, in this graph and, and in the article and in talking to you today is really just to illuminate that 
you have these choices within freedom and think about that and, and think about w- what is important to you and, and, and how do you want to act and do you want to create up a, a system or live in a system uh, that is of one emphasis or the other and if so, act, go work that way, create a system, uh, be with people who think about that system. Uh, and as far, and what was the other part of his... Uh... That people from all... You know, political oh, right, identities right. Are, are showing up here and sending their kids here and working here. Yeah, certainly. Um, again, that doesn't... You can work within a system that you don't even necessarily believe in. Uh, I used to work for corporate America, and I certainly didn't believe in a lot of the systems that were put in place there, but I was still doing that. And therefore, what I was churning out, the product of what I was creating, was a particular type of product. And if we're thinking about children as a product, right, if you put children into, which is, I realize, a very dangerous thing to say within self-directed education. But if you're thinking about it, if especially in the centers, again, less emphasis on the unschoolers here, but the parents being the corporation there or the school or center being the corporation, you're putting a certain system into place. And so you might be voting Democrat or you might be a diehard Republican or whatever, but you're working in a particular center or you're, or, you know, the type of parenting you're doing is a certain model. Um, that, that Those two don't necessarily have to be the same thing. I'm just saying, think about the system that is in place. I think all the time at the center that I work at about the system that's in place and how that impacts the children, the way that they come together, the way conflicts are resolved, the way that they're choosing to go to offerings or not to go to offerings, the types of offerings that are offered. Are they coming up with them? Am I coming up with them? I think about that all the time, and I think that that's crucial for us to be thinking about while we're doing this work. And those choices we make have political implications and come from a certain and have a certain correlation to certain political ideologies and yours in your own life you might identify with certain things or vote for a particular person in office that that's a separate conversation in the Sudbury Valley School literature I've uh, it's been a while since I've actually read the books but I remember having a strong sense that uh, sending your kid to a Sudbury school would make them more civically minded that because they are participating in these democratic processes each day or they have the opportunity to participate in them then uh, well, the, the argument was pretty straightforward then they are more prepared to go out into the world in a democratic republic and to interact with those systems and to be part of them and to be informed instead of uh, you know, blind or unaware. Um, I'm not sure how true that is. Like, it definitely makes intuitive sense, but I also uh, haven't seen, you know, in, in Peter Gray's survey of the graduates of the Sudbury Valley School, there's no overrepresentation of, you know, these people going into public service or somehow, you know, reflecting more civics in their upbringing. Um, and so, that that open question leads me when I put my skeptic hat on my my huge skeptic hat on, then uh, it makes me wonder 
Well, if, if we're just assuming that the specific type of education system or self-directed education system that kids go through uh, necessarily influences their views of power and control and consent and and politics. You know, is that necessarily true? Uh, is there an argument to be made that a kid going through a conventional school is actually kind of getting the, a taste of the, the worst forms of control, and that then inspires her to go, turn around and to go look into all these, like, maybe fairly radical or countercultural alternatives? Is it, you know, our children products where if they're put through one type of system, then they necessarily turn out as products of that system, then they'll go on to reproduce that system? These are really big questions, Alex. I do not expect you to have answers, but maybe you'll have some cool thoughts. I will say that I am much less so than uh, my colleague Peter Gray, a data-driven person. Uh, I, I like to go by gut feeling of what, what feels right to me, um, and, and that's okay by me. That's how I live my life. Uh, I, I don't need the data. Um, and I very much appreciate and respect Peter Gray has directly uh, impacted my own life uh, with his data. Um, I appreciate it. Um, I will say this. I've been to, I I don't know how many, many, many self-directed centers, environments, groups of people that congregate uh, under this practice, this methodology. Um, And within the centers, I always always remark that there's so much that's different. The two things, and there's, kind of a joke but they're kind of serious that that are always that are always the same is one they're all beaten to hell they they look like a disaster like look at the room we're sitting in right now Blake we're sitting in the wood shop there's a bunch of duct tape foam swords randomly strewn about all sorts of bolts and nuts that are kind of labeled but haven't been labeled in a couple of years there's yeah there's literally a shelf of like that's actually extinction rebellion stuff that's falling on us that's propaganda up there Uh, (laughs) you know there's there's just writing all over the walls everything's crooked there's holes in the walls the windows don't quite shut you know that's there these are spaces that are so well used that one has nothing to do with answering your question (laughs) The, the, other, the other one is every one of the spaces you walk into, when I've walked into them, the young people in them walk up to me, look me in the eye, and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, what are you doing here? And I, I'm not, I can't say that that child is going to be more civically minded when they're 38 years old. You know, they're not joining the, uh, the Kiwanis Club or whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I will say that it makes sense to me, and I certainly come to the same conclusions as the authors of the Sudbury Valley or the Sudbury books, uh, Sudbury Sudbury Valley Press. Um, I come to those same conclusions myself, and maybe dangerously without the necessary data. I've read all those books too. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the name of the one that's the. It took Peter Gray's um, data. And in any case, uh, in it, they, they show, they quantify that more, more people grow up who graduated specifically from Sudbury Valley, because that was what the data was, not other Sudbury schools, that um, 
ended up going into the arts and creative uh, uh, fields than more business-oriented fields. And, um, you know, there were more artists than there were doctors and lawyers, although there was the array of all of them. And I think that that's also a pretty obvious conclusion that you you can get that's more more likely to happen. And I think that those, whether that's completely true or isn't true, again, I think that there's systems that are set up to sort of emphasize that end of it. I do think that if you are said, you go to the principal's office, you've done this wrong, the principal tells you your punishment, you're sent back to class, no conversation, boom, that's it the chances are that you're not going to have the same vocabulary. You're not going to have the same experiences. You're not going to feel as enabled as the child who grows up in the community where it's, let's sit down and talk about this. How did you feel when Jimmy hit you? And, you know, and how did Sally, you know, whatever. Right. (laughs) So, um, and so I think that it's set up that way. Having said that, I went to conventional school. I went to conventional school. And and so it's not right all the time. I consider myself a very civically minded human being. Um, you know, but, but I do think that the system does at least help equip one with the tools so that if they do want to do that, they have the tools to go on and do that. Yeah, that seems fairly incontrovertible. That it at least makes you aware that there are like systems of justice that take young people, you know, seriously in the world. And even if you, you know, you just go for a year or two to one of these alternative schools or centers, and then you're like, actually, I want to have a very large peer group and I want to play organized sports without much hassle or something like that. You go back to school, even though you kind of hate it, you know, at least you do have this awareness that like, there was this other land, this magical land where people took me seriously, I felt respected, I had a voice if I chose to exercise it. I agree. We can't say that that's going to be a bad thing or an ineffectual thing. Yeah, that falls somewhere in the line with, uh, it's a little different, but I've, I've had interesting conversations with a bunch of unschoolers since Brooklyn Apple Academy's for unschoolers. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of parents, and sometimes kids leave here to go back to public school and the ones who are distraught are the parents. They're like, where did I go wrong? I thought I was raising an unschooler. Now they're back in public school. And what I like to point out to the parents is you're still unschooling your kid because you let your child make the choice to go back to public school. And they know that if they say this place sucks, I want to go back to unschooling, which we just had one start back here, (laughs) Um, uh, that they can do that. And and I think that that falls somewhere along those same lines. They they know that they have the choice and that they can do this. And so while one might go out into society and not be very civically minded and not be going into those things, they're more. I like to think that the chances are they're more aware of it, um, and they're aware of their decision not to do it. I think that's a great place to leave it, Alex. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me.